Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And this is Thanksgiving week, and you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for cinema. That's right, we're here to talk about Martin Scorsese's new piece of true cinema, The Irishman, which of course... We are very lucky to have seen in the theater uh, because this is a Netflix movie and it is out today on Netflix. So uh, if you didn't get to see it, if it didn't open in a theater near you, which it didn't for many, many people, and I really didn't expect it to open in Vegas, but I'm so glad it did. Uh, But if you didn't get to see it, go watch it now. It's out on Netflix. And then come back and uh, listen to this wonderful conversation I had with returning co-host Chris Cranock. We had a great time talking about this one. Uh, And another thing you could do while you're at it is make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You could also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. And you can follow us on social media at Piecing Pod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where, believe me, the conversation about Martin Scorsese and Marvel and all that stuff came up many, many times over the last few months, but uh, I'm sure it'll come up many more times in the coming months. But uh, anyway, today is not about that. Today is about the Irishman. So let's jump into this conversation because uh, th- this is a great movie and um, you know e- even if you don't love it and we talk about this in the episode but even if you don't love it this is a movie worth discussing and diving into and I had a great time talking puzzle pieces about it with Chris Cranock so uh, let's get into it <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by the Golden Tiki. Recently named one of the top tiki bars in the United States by the Food Network, and also one of the top 10 best nightlife destinations in Las Vegas by USA Today. They've got great rum, mixed drinks, and of course the Dole Whip. They've got theme nights, DJs, all kinds of fun stuff, including Alan Bud's Oasis, who are two robotic parrots that put on a great show every hour on the hour. So next time you're in Las Vegas, make sure to check out the Golden Tiki on Spring Mountain. Chris Cranock is back with us again today. How's it going, man? It's going excellent. Thank you. So uh, you saw The Irishman last night. In theaters. In theaters. The way it was meant to be seen. Let's be real here. Yeah, absolutely. you know, Ryan Johnson just said in an interview that it is a uh, it's a tragedy that Knives Out is opening in more theaters than The Irishman, and I got to agree with the man. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that too. I mean, I think it's a really interesting time, especially to have a conversation about anything Scorsese because like there's everyone like hates him or loves him now. Like mm-hmm. all the, you know, the, uh, all the, um, filmmakers, it's been amazing watching these filmmakers that grew up watching him and then have him insult them <laughs> kind of like a side, not, he didn't really insult them, right? but right. just how it's being perceived. And then watching them scramble and be like, it's, you know what, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. It's just been the best feeling in the world. <laughs> I love these people. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, everyone is rooting for him to be in theaters more and it's shocking that it's, that he's not. Yeah. And this is going to be a, an interesting conversation. We'll get into some puzzle pieces here in a second, but this movie is so just like, it's, it's almost like a, like an end cap for Scorsese in mm-hmm. general, like his whole filmography. Like it really is kind of a, uh, it's almost like an ending in a way, you know? Yeah. And, and so it's, it's like, it's kind of very singular in that. And I, I don't know that we'll necessarily have a lot of pieces. I've got a few, I don't know what you got, but, mm-hmm. um, it, it's definitely going to be a, a weird movie to talk about as far as the whole inspirations thing, I think. Well, I mean, just as for a legendary filmmaker, there's only a handful of people that are still like I would say legendary living among us. You sure, know I mean? we've lost a lot of filmmakers within the last decade that mm-hmm. were like going back to the old. You know, we had Igmar Bergman up to twenty seven, you know, two thousand seven. Excuse mm-hmm. me. And so to have uh, someone so self assured and so confident in their voice, it's much easier to talk about a new director and being like, well, they were inspired by this movie, this movie, and this movie. But it's like, how do you really go into like Scorsese, who is crafted such a genuine voice of his own mm. that I mean, I have I definitely have things that I think he references sure. but in terms of the influence they're almost invisible at this point right because he's almost you know he's just so uh he so is the articulate influence. yeah he's so articulate <laughs> in his own vision and his own voice yeah so this is probably the greatest director we've discussed I mean besides like Stanley Kubrick and like for breaking it apart but that's a whole other different thing sure, you know sure. so this is just interesting to and yeah I'm I'm excited to kind of see what you think All right but well, I'm still mixed the movie I st- is still penetrating me on a on a whole other level I I completely understand I left the theater thinking I definitely liked it um I don't know how much I like it and it <laughs> took me a few days to really like you know, just re- really uh, dig into my thoughts and, and start to appreciate it for what it actually is. And uh, I'm I'm liking it more and more every day that I get past it. Yeah, for me, my first reaction, I just saw it last night. So my first reaction is that, of course, it's good. Right. You know, it's good. It's a great film. I mean, these are people at the peak of their powers. There's a certain confidence about it. There's a, a, a sure hand at, at the at the helm. Joe Pesci was is as great as everyone is saying. I yeah. think he stole the show. Uh, I think Pacino really brought it. He's been kind of just being Pacino for like twenty years, and he actually shook off some cobwebs and really gave a more nuanced performance. Yeah, I think it lucked out that it was also a crazy guy that screams a lot. I think he, <laughs> yeah, that I think works he got out well. <laughs> I think he got super lucky. But I think maybe the best piece of casting in the movie was Pacino as Hoffa. And I and even De Niro, who I think weirdly oddly plays a diminished role as mm-hmm. like the middleman yeah. of these two type of characters, these two worlds. He was the bridge between them. Uh, was was stellar, but it's strange for great writing, great directing, and great performances. It kind of added up to a fairly average movie. Mm. My my gut is saying saying to me that it isn't a masterwork as much as it is great people doing what they do well mm-hmm. you know what i mean and, and so yeah and i don't want to ramble but it's i have mixed feelings we'll discuss it as we go through the puzzle pieces beautiful why don't we jump into some of those what do you got for your first one 
Okay, so uh, I resisted reading reviews because I try to always do that, but I read one like one line review which made really stuck in my brain, and I have to agree with it even more now seeing it after the fact. Mm-hmm. I forget who it was, but someone said that the Irishman is basically wild strawberries with guns, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, so my first puzzle piece is going to be Igmar Bergman's Wild Strawberries, uh, the great, great Swedish masterpiece from 1957. Okay, I have not seen it. Okay, there's going to be a couple of those on here. So, I'm sure. So Wild Strawberries um, is a personal favorite film of mine. Uh, it resonates with me very much so. I, I always put it on my arbitrary top 10 list, which is always changing, except sure. for like the bottom three or four or whatever. But it's always like number three on my list. Uh, so again, that's arbitrary. But it's a very deeply you know loved film for me. Um, and it's about an old doctor who's driving through the Swedish countryside with his daughter-in-law. Uh, on his way to receive a kind of like a lifetime achievement award, and he looks back on his life and he finds it full of regret mm. and kind of a bitter sweetness, and he's brought back to the simpler times of being able to pick wild strawberries on his like family summer home, uh, and he remembers past loves, and he kind of almost is like a Scrooge character in a way to where he's become embittered and cruel. Uh, and he's kind of lost some of his humanity, but he regains that on this journey, mm-hmm. you know, in subtle very artistically, you know, formative ways. Absolutely. So yeah. It's a great, great film. Right on. Yeah. And and definitely that that sounds very much <laughs> like what we're dealing with here. Well, that's the thing is you, you mentioned like not to get overly into a critique of the Irishman itself and get too far away from, you know, the puzzle pieces, but basically like I think I liked the film as a chapter in Martin Scorsese's story mm-hmm. more than i liked it as an independent standalone film so that's an interesting thing and like just as a brief aside we'll try to keep it as brief as possible i feel like i could say a, a fairly similar thing about his last few movies yeah. the wolf of wall street i i don't like as a movie <laughs> i like as the idea of what he's doing yeah. you know what he what he's trying to do with the movie but i don't really i would never really go back and watch that movie silence uh also, like I that I like more. I, I love a, Silence. I think it's a great film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also it's like it's not really a movie that uh, you know you're gonna recommend to quite anybody. It's a difficult watch, sure. you know. And and it's like he's definitely he's definitely working in things that are outside of uh, just a generally enjoyable movie experience. Well, I think Scorsese has actually always been that. I sure. think that he has he he's unique in that he's made movies that have resonated with the masses mm-hmm. and have become part of our popular culture. But I think that was always like by accident. Right. right. <laughs> I think his obsessions, uh, always have driven him, which is why we got, you know, Cape fear or Cape fear remake, you mm-hmm. know, and you know, and he, he, that's how he was able to make the last temptation of Christ is mm-hmm. if he like bargained and made this kind of like super commercial film, which ended up being bizarre and terrifying in its own right. But like he was always driven by his personal passions, and I think he just kind of stumbled into making films that defined a genre. I mean, besides The Godfather, when you think of mafioso movies of Ital- Italian-Americans, all you think of is Goodfellas and Casino. Sure. Know, they have become the staple. So I think in a way, The Irishman um, is serving to go back to that preconceived notion about himself as a filmmaker. It's almost a... Uh, a revisiting kind of like how Paul Schrader recently revisited taxi driver with first reformed. Yes. You know, I, I, that's what I mean is like, I like that Scorsese wanted to go back and try again and add another dimension. Yeah. And I think next to the Irishman, Goodfellas almost seems kind of glib. 
Mm. Like it's this kind of, you know what I mean? It's not yeah. as, it's very deep. And it's, a, it's a masterful, almost nearly perfect crime film. But I think Scorsese was going for like some of that silence gravity. Yes. Mixed with this genre that he's been linked to. Yeah. That I don't think he himself identifies with. Right. He identifies with The Last Temptation of Christ and Silence. These are his passion films. These are who he is Even as a Hugo. filmmaker. And Hugo. Yeah. And then we've just said, no, you're the mafia guy. Yeah, right, you know, you right. are the Goodfellas guy. And so, yeah, I mean, The Irishman is interesting and great as a chapter in his story more than I think as a standalone movie. Makes perfect sense. And uh, you just mentioned uh, uh, First Reformed with Paul Schrader. That's going to be my first puzzle piece. So, uh, yeah, I think exactly what you were just saying, though, um, that Paul Schrader got to go back to this idea he was exploring, you know, all those years ago. And, of course, Martin Scorsese being a part of that project as well, but with Taxi Driver. But, um uh, yeah, the the idea of getting to go back to uh, a similar idea, but with your newfound experiences in life and, uh, you know, new new point of view on it and everything like that. I think that this movie very much so is Martin Scorsese looking at the gangster film genre with this newfound point of view. Yeah, with a new philosophical eye. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's funny because First Reformed is almost like beat for beat. Uh, taxi driver, mm. but but it's somber, right. and I think what that film also has in common with uh, the Irishman is that they're somber pieces. Yeah, like, it comes with age. Yeah, I think there's a kind of a relaxing uh, to it, getting older. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You kind of calm down. I mean, and Scorsese sure. famously was like this erratic cokehead. You know yeah. what I mean? And a lot of his great films was like made by this like blazing energy. And he still is kind of like a little puppet. You know, yeah. he, you know he's like <laughs> it's, he's hilarious oh, as yeah. a human being. But, um, but yeah, there's kind of this somber, mature attitude with the Irishman, and I'm still grappling. Like, I, I listen. I'm I love long movies. And there is, as to quote Roger Ebert, "There's no good film long enough, and there's no bad film short enough." Sure. Yeah. So if you earn three and a half hours, I'm in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm, I'm I have so I have no like weird prejudice against it. But I also think the more the longer you make a film, the more you're daring us to say, "Well, is this earned?" Right. Like, should you, I sit here for three and a half hours? And I'm still kind of grappling with the idea of like, is this maturity? It it was basically in a nutshell. Was this too long winded? Like, yeah. did we need three and a half hours of Robert De Niro pensively thinking to himself, you know, quietly? Right. And I don't know. Is there a more is there a more potent and effective two hour film in there? So there's all kinds of questions. But yeah, it's to me the film was meditative. Yes. And I think that's kind of what maybe Scorsese was rationalizing the runtime as he like wanted to. Meditate on these people. Absolutely. I don't know if the meditation was really all that profound. Mm -hmm. You you get old and you die, and and that's (laughs) exactly right. Well, that's exactly right, and that's why I think uh, it it works if you are taking that step back and looking at it within the confines of his entire career, like applying this movie to his career as a standalone movie. Maybe not as much. Maybe it didn't need to be what it is, but. For the career arc, I think it makes so much sense. Sure. Wild Strawberries in 90 minutes makes so much more of a profound statement about age and regret and bitterness. Mm. You know, he was in and out. You know what I mean? These, you know, Bergman didn't mess around. He was, you know, 90 minutes, boom, messed you up. It was like reading The Stranger and like Camus' The Stranger. It's 100 pages and it will fuck you up. You'll just like (laughs) be in bed for a week after you read it. And that's how Bergman was. So, yeah, I don't know if the meditative quality... Uh, lended itself particularly well. I'm still grappling with my feelings. I'm sure. still sifting the pieces of the movie and how I feel about it. Uh, of course, it's impressive, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, what do you got for your next piece? 
Uh, so I'm going to bring up, just while we're on the subject, and I'll keep it super brief this time, um, it's called Umberto D. It's a, it's a superb Italian um, neorealist masterpiece by uh, De Sica. Um, and it's about an old man living in poverty in post-war Italy who basically all he has is his dog. Uh, I bring this up in, in particular because in The Irishman, uh, a particular scene takes place in a restaurant called Umberto's. Mm. And so I think this was uh, Scorsese's overt nod uh, to a film about age. You know, it's like Umberto D is like one of the great films about old people. You know mm. what I mean, it's like if you ever look up old people movies on Google, yeah. <laughs> probably the first thing to come up would be Umberto D. And it's a truly powerful film. Uh, it's, it's sentimental without being sentimentalist. And I think that was Scorsese's other thing with this is that it's so frank, um, to use a bad pun of the main character's name. But it was, uh, I mean, all the violence was not sensationalized in the slightest. Yeah. It was extremely brief and, and fierce and realistic yeah. and undramatized. And I think that harkens back directly to the Italian neorealist movement, which mm -hmm. was the whole idea of the Italian neorealist was like, well, let's stop glorifying life and putting these glossy filters on the women. You know, it was kind of a defiance to Hollywood of the 1930s because of the war. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, in, uh, uh, Europe in general, but also Italy was kind of raped by fasc you know, fascism. Mm -hmm. And the the artist movement of the Italians were like, well, let's get back to basics and let's, let's make movies about real people and poverty and suffering and bleakness. And so that's very philosophical. But I think that whole idea is very much in the bones of the Irishman and even in its stylistic approach. And then we definitely are confirmed with that because of the restaurant name of Umberto's. I, I love that, that little uh, Easter egg in there. There you go. Um, well, obviously, I've not seen Umberto D, but I think a lot of the things you were... I know, he's, shaking, you... <laughs> he's shaking his head at me, by the way, everybody. I'm not giving a very good radio... Uh, <laughs> I'm just shaking my head slowly. Holding his, his coffee and just <laughs> shaking his head dis disappointingly. Um, but uh, the things you were saying, though, about the, uh, uh, the, the, the not really... Uh, you know, showcasing the violence and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. as a perfect lead into my next puzzle piece, which is Lynn Ramsey's You Were Never Really Here from 2017, oh, yeah. which again, it shows uh, the effects of violence without actually showing much of the violence. Mm -hmm. They, uh, you know, she made a very distinct choice to shy away from the majority of it. I mean, there's a few scenes in there where we do, you know, get that violence, but really the, the point of the movie is the character and the effects of it. And I think that there's a definite uh, parallel with the way that it's showing that, you know, violence has kind of marked this guy's life, but where's anything gotten him is basically nowhere. Yeah, you know? I mean, that's the thing is, I mean, You Were Never Really Here is also virtually a revisiting of Taxi Driver. Absolutely. You know, and I feel like these, Paul Schrader as a writer who was putting these ideas into the world and then Scorsese who was kind of picking them up and reimagining them cinematically, mm -hmm. they were really trying, I mean, this is, comes back to this whole, you know, crazy fiasco of Scorsese's comments about cinema, mm -hmm. right? how he, he identifies cinema as trying to probe the inner spirit and soul and identity and philosophy of the characters. And you don't get that with, with uh, Robert Downey Jr. in a big robot suit. Right. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's the thing is, I feel like someone like Frank Sheeran, the character of Irishman and a character of You Were Never Really Here and of Taxi Driver, Travis Bickle, they're all numbed by trauma yeah. in a way, and they're all victims in a way, not to ever excuse their behavior, but I think there's a paradox in the core of all these characters. Like with Ed, with Frank, I almost said Ed Sheeran, with Ed Sheeran. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's an Irishman. That's a really great <laughs> slip up. Imagine Ed Sheeran and the Irishman. Oh, that's makes, that'd be make, make it a better movie. Give me yeah. that other, let's do four hours of Ed Sheeran. <laughs> no, so anyway, so with Frank Sheeran, he, um, 
he was a murderer as a as a World War II soldier. You know, he murdered people. Sure. And he he started to become that cold, calculated, calloused person uh, in a whole other different context. And so I think it's important to show those things. So yeah, I mean, I think um, I don't know if there's a lot there to unpack, but that might be the point that these people are empty and hollow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all these films that we've talked so far especially the Schrader influenced or the Scorsese inspired or those films in themselves are about empty people that don't feel yeah. what they what were quote unquote supposed to feel. Yeah. But even at the end with the priest and the Irishman, he's like, do you feel remorse? And he's like, no. Yeah. yeah. He's like, no, no. How much has he changed really? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, what do you got next? Uh, so my next one is going to be uh, Rashomon. Mm-hmm. I'm going out. We're going all kinds of world cinema here. Sorry, sure. guys. Sorry, listeners. You're like, <laughs> but so this is uh, an Akira Kurosawa film, uh, and probably one of the most influential films of all time. Besides being a great film in its own right, but uh, in terms of Japanese cinema, it's it's and now become it's now become just a world staple um, because of the unreliable narrator. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea of seeing one story from different perspectives, yeah, uh, has now permeated. Uh, basically a whole genre type. And with this, we have this really unique approach. I mean, I guess unique is one way to put it. Kind of predictable is another way to put it. If mm-hmm. you look at Scorsese's catalog, it's kind of like, oh, there he is doing his Scorsese thing. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but you have, the, you have the film being told from Frank's memory. Right, right. And the source material of the movie, I Heard You Paint Houses, the yeah. original book, is all conjecture. Exactly, yeah. Nobody has any clue. Nobody. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, so I feel like the Rashomon influence is definitely um, conscious. I mm-hmm. don't think Scorsese was unaware of what he was doing because he's such a cinephile, you know, such a cinephile, yeah, and uh, such a you know a student of literature and a proponent of restoring these films, and he, so he's very present in them. And I feel like he took that device and gave it to the Frank Sheeran character. And he, sure. we never even know who he's talking to. Is right. He ta- and he's not talking to the camera. It's not a fourth wall break. I love that about the movie, by yeah. the way. I, I love the opening, like, mm-hmm. where you just, I mean, is he just some old guy just talking to himself? Mm-hmm. Like, you really don't know. Yeah, I definitely think there's a dementia element that they kind of play on. Yeah. Uh, not overtly. Sure. But I definitely think this was kind of like a simplified, realistic Rashomon. Well, uh, spoiler alert for Friday's episode of Knives Out, but guest uh, Jay Ledbetter brings up Rashomon for that one. Get so, out of here. This is Rashomon week on the podcast. Well, that's the thing. So. It's one of those movies, oh, I'm going to say it, like 2001 A Space Odyssey, that basically is everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Rashomon's <laughs> one of those movies that like, it's not even fair that I brought it up really, because it's just a puzzle piece to everything. We could talk about Iron Man 3, and I'd be like, have you seen Rashomon? <laughs> All right, so- <laughs> Love it. I love it. <laughs> well, uh, I'll go with my next one. Um, when... People started asking me uh, what I thought of The Irishman after I saw it in the theater a couple weeks ago. The first thing I said was it reminded me of binge-watching six episodes of Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. Uh, this is absolutely that that Scorsese feel with, uh, you know, that that real-life narrative with the, 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 the gangster stuff and with the, the real-life criminals and... And then, you know, added to it is the fact that you get so many little roles being filled by Boardwalk Empire actors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, the big draw is the main three, the the Pacino, the De Niro, the Pesci. Mm-hmm. But then on top of that, you got, uh, what's his name, Stephen Graham. You've got uh, Bobby Cannavale. Uh, who else was in this that was in uh, Boardwalk Empire? There's a lot of people mm-hmm. from... Boardwalk Empire that are filling out a lot of the smaller roles in this thing, and it kind of just feels like a reunion of sorts, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, Boardwalk Empire, 
was created by a guy named Terrence Winter, mm-hmm. who actually brings me to my puzzle piece, if I can kind of horn in on yours sure. a little bit to just expand on yours. Yeah. And, okay, so I'm going to have to say The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And Terrence Winter was a head, one of the head writers, or one of the key writers, I should say, pardon me, David Chase was always the head writer on Sopranos, but sure. one of the key writers of The Sopranos and really helped define its voice, and board, Boardwalk Empire was born out of the success of The Sopranos, and it was kind of a follow-up. Now, funnily enough, with The Sopranos, uh, they asked Scorsese if he had watched it, and he was like, no, I can't really, you know, I, bit, I know those guys, I did that stuff, I was in that genre, and I just don't want to deal with it, I, wanna, I don't want to look into it. Mm. I've always been suspicious of that response. I don't know, if I think he probably did watch it, is my guess. Mm-hmm. This is totally a guess, though, I have no idea, I have no inside information at all. But the thing is, here's one of the reasons also... I feel slightly undersatisfied or unsatisfied by The Irishman mm-hmm. is that The Sopranos added the the philosophical dimension to the mafia genre that I think this film was attempting to do, mm. and it did it better, okay. and it did it smarter, and it did it deeper, and, it, and I think it's because it had six years I was just of about sprawling to say, content to do that. Yeah, if you're going to deal with the the effects of this lifestyle and all that stuff, I mean, you need time. And maybe that's part of the reason why this is three and a half hours long. I think it is too, but I, the thing is, I, I've been railing on this recently. I think I even might have mentioned this like in, the, in our last Dr. Sleep episode, is that I'm like big on the medium, you know, the appropriateness of the medium. Right, right. And I don't know if The Irishman is a story that needed three and a half hours more than it needed three years, mm. you know, because they say with The Sopranos that it's about the banality of evil. Mm. You know, how many times do you watch Tony Soprano get up in his bathrobe and get his newspaper? And, you know, that you know, it's these repetitious images of life that we see over and over again juxtaposed next to him shooting an 18-year-old kid in the face or something. Right. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing is I get that sense watching The Irishman. It's like De Niro counting his medication right. and putting it in the little divider for the week and knocking over his pills. And it's like, yeah, this is a guy that shot Jimmy Hoffa in the face. Right. And now we're watching him count his medication. Yeah. And again, it was echoing of this banality of evil that this that life goes on, that he gets old. You know, the 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 gimmick of showing the writing in text on the screen of whatever how everyone died. Yeah, you know that was again. It was it was a clever Scorsese ish way, kind of clumsy at the same time though of being like everyone dies. This is how they go. This is not a glamorized life. Like he spent his early life glamorizing these things. Right, and not I mean that's unfair. It's up to the audience. To know that he's not glamorizing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if he himself was not making it glamorous. He himself was showing it from the perspective of the people who thought it was glamorous. Right. And then it was our responsibility to know. Let's be clear. I mean, maybe he did a, you know, a, a better job with, like, Goodfellas and stuff. But um, let's be clear. Most people think Wolf of Wall Street is glamorizing mm. that life, you know? Right. That's the thing is, like, I read it. Not to get on like I know we're tangent prone. Uh, sure. But basically, super quickly... Um, I was reading about about Wolf of Wall Street because there's all kind of co- controversy around it, and so many people were disgusted by the film. Yeah, because they thought they thought it was supporting it. Yeah, and the thing is, is like I've always felt, you know, it's been, at the end of Wolf of Wall Street, he he you sh- he shows the main character doing that kind of like talk of like you know, inspiring other people to be like him and right. sell me the pen and all that. It's not Scorsese's job as the artist to tell us that we should be disgusted. Right, right. He's showing us. How this guy came out clean on the other side, mm-hmm. and shouldn't that infuriate us? Right, exactly. So that's the thing is we should you know that's we we never take enough responsibility as an artist or as an audience. Pardon me 
And the artist should only present things as they are mm-hmm. with a grain of truth to them. And then it's up to us to have a reaction. Absolutely. And so I feel like with Goodfellas, he, well, he was showing us from Henry Hill's perspective. Yeah. And in a way, Irishman was even less artistically sound in the sense that he was giving us more breadcrumbs to how we should feel. Right, right. He was let he was taking freedoms away. I'm just using strong language to illustrate a point. Obviously mm. I respect the man immensely and he's a great artist. Of course. <laughs> but I'm just using these strong words to just describe it properly. But basically he was taking away breadcrumbs for us to arrive at a de- at the destination yeah. that, that the life of crime is hollow and empty and meaningless and that they you know that they think they're getting away with something by not paying taxes or being able to fix things or mm. having this you know this power and it's just this big masturbatory bullshit thing until they fucking die like everyone else. Right. And it's not special. And so, yeah, the Irishman is basically less creatively sound in a way or less artistically sound than his earlier films, which you could argue were glamorizing it. So have that twist your brain for a while. Twisting it around. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, I'm going to stay in TV for my next piece, uh, which our last couple pieces were. Um, this is just the whole genre of the recent explosion of true crime. Mm. Uh, I think that this is, and my next piece will also deal with this as well, but it's just like a perfect time for a movie uh, on Jimmy Hoffa, yeah. you know, because uh, people are just obsessed with just digging deep into these these crazy stories, these crazy true life crime stories. Mm-hmm. And it's so big on television right now. And I think that that, that uh, you know, that, that excitement around that genre is something that made this a good time for Scorsese to go and look at that guy's life, you know? Yeah, it makes it watchable. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like why it's it's why people you know love serial killers. Yeah. And one time I went over to a girl's house and she had a book of serial killers on her coffee table and I was like, I don't know if I should be with this woman. Like, I don't know, <laughs> this is concerning. And that's the thing is like, but we all have this kind of sick fascination with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with the 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 mugginess around how far this went with yeah. Hoffa and the presidency and the assass- assassination of JFK. And how the mob was instrumental in that, and the Bay of Pigs, and this and that. And the movie very cleverly sidesteps exactly what happens. Sure. While also being very meticulous in its information. Yeah. So, I mean, to be, again, that's, that's the mastery of this type of filmmaker. Like, where you, when you, when you ask, like, what's the difference between a Scorsese and, like, some new director kind of just getting his feet wet or her feet wet? And it's that, like, the confidence to navigate a complicated story with such clarity. There's a lot of confidence on display in this movie. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Whether you love it or not, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, this is a film, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah, this is a film. This is yeah. a great, this is a great film in a lot of abstract and academic ways. Yeah. Does it connect, does it hit on all the levels emotionally? Is it as good as it could have been? There's all kinds of weird questions that are subjective. And, but yeah, it's still a great masterful piece of material everyone involved is at their top top of their game and that's kind of brings me to my puzzle piece sure which is kind of i'm going to connect two okay and to keep time your time is sensitive uh jfk by oliver stone sure and uh, hoffa with uh jack nicholson and danny devito Mm -hmm. of course i'm going to put those in as a companion to your puzzle piece because there was kind of a boom in the 90s of like courtroom dramas of uh recent history films and I think it's because Oliver Stone was really hot and he started this. You know, he did the great Nixon 
uh, with um, Anthony Hopkins, which is like a four-hour mess, but I, <laughs> I, could, I can't take my eyes off of it. It's so brilliant and terrible all at once. <laughs> um, but JFK in particular, because of rewriting of history, or basically making a movie based on assumptions. Sure. You know, JFK is a bunch of horseshit, and it's so good, though. And right. I'm not so a big... Good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a big Oliver Stone, like... A fan, I think he's a real hit and miss type director. But when he was great, he was great. You yeah, know, he has a real, and I think he has kind of a kitchen sink approach that Scorsese doesn't have. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that Scorsese, especially now in The Irishman, is much more reserved, as we've said, and and controlled. Yeah, but JFK and Hoffa are these big, sprawling, complicated uh, historical movies that were made basically on people's obsessions more than they were made on fact. Right, and right. I think The Irishman shares that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, I, I hadn't really uh, thought of JFK going into it, but I mean, it makes so much sense. Everything you're saying, it's, it's kind of perfect. Yeah, they're like identical movies, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing. Is, it's one of those things, like, I really doubt highly that Scorsese sat down and watched JFK before getting, you know, in pre-production of sure. this movie. But it goes into... Um, it goes into our brains, you know, especially for someone who watches so many films as Scorsese does. He's still such an active participant as a viewer. Yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, Oliver Stone is very responsible for is responsible for changing the landscape of what we expect out of out of our true crime or historical fictions. Mm-hmm. Like I think Oliver Stone is heavy handed on the fiction side more than he is on the historical side. Sure. And his movies are really more about him mm-hmm. than they are about history. They're, you know, I watch Oliver Stone films and they're very myopic. Yeah. They're his obsessions. He's burning himself to the ground with his passions. Yeah. And those are what his films are really about, more so than the historical you know, thing that he's interested in at that given moment. Sure. They're very naked in that way. Mm. And I think Scorsese, again, another similarity with these movies is that The Irishman is very naked. It mm. feels like Scorsese is saying something to us right, more right. than he's disappearing into the movie. Interesting. I like it. Well, uh, I am going to go with a piece that is not a movie, uh, but it, it, again, talks to why I felt like this was the right time for a movie like this, and it is Bernie Sanders and his <laughs> political revolution. Um, you know, just the, the idea that there's this politician out there right now that just speaks to the people, especially, like, you know, unions and, and mm-hmm. all that stuff, um, I, I think that... It, I'm not a big history buff, so I didn't really know that much about Hoffa outside mm-hmm. of the disappearing politician guy. Sure. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So, but uh, as I was watching, I was like, oh my God, like this is basically like the, the way that people feel about Jimmy Hoffa seemed to be what people feel about, uh, about Bernie right now. You know, people are super just excited about the political process, you yeah. know? Well, it's on the other side, on the ugly side of that same coin. Mm-hmm. It's why people connect with Trump. Absolutely. Because they wrongly mm-hmm. interpret him as a straight talker. Yes. You know, they, I mean, obviously nothing can be further from the truth. Yeah. But they view him as someone that speaks to the, at their level. They, Absolutely. That he cuts through the fat. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Bernie does, you know, in a way. That, so, yeah, I mean, unfortunately, politics, in order to work, here's another paradox for you. It needs to be simplified for mm-hmm. people to emotionally invest in it and sure. actually care. But unfortunately, politics isn't emotional and it isn't simple. Mm-hmm. And so when you have real politicians trying to discuss the complexities of it, people tune out. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, 
and that's I mean that's everyone's fault and no one's fault. Right. I mean, you know what I mean, it's if just you, what it is. Yeah, if if it's a dry, boring documentary, no one's gonna watch it. If mm. you punch it up with some drama, people are gonna watch it. It's just our nature. Yeah. So it's this other paradox of just you know endless struggle and confusion and and frustration. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean Hoffa had the charisma. Yeah. And Bernie has this charisma. Like yeah. I mean, in terms of not to get in the political conversation, but the establishment will probably never let Bernie proceed, go beyond, you never know. Absolutely. Fingers crossed, but yeah. probably not. No. But when I think about it, the only person who I could actually see taking on Trump would be a Bernie. Absolutely. Because he actually connects to us on an emotional level. That's why I think that everything is hopeless, but uh, yeah, <laughs> let's not go too deep Which is why we should hole. just seek out movies like The Irishman and watch them and go into yeah. our own. That's a good way to plan, <laughs> use up the rest of our time on this planet. Yeah. Uh, well, why don't we move on? What do you got for your next piece? So this is a super fast one i'm just going to mention it because it's another easter egg in the movie okay in the background on uh, a marquee for a movie theater mm-hmm. uh is a movie called the shootest and it's a it's a, a john wayne film mm-hmm. and i just want to touch on it briefly because it's uh, obviously an easter egg that scorsese put in there i doubt it was an accident and again it's about the aging process mm. it's about uh it's, it's almost about like re-examining a genre in this way it's going to be the the western yeah and with the irishman it's the mob it's the italian american mob crime epic so the shootist and the Irishman are both kind of like postmodern uh, reimaginings of a genre. Okay. And so shootist is a unique little kind of an underloved movie. Another reason why I think that uh, Scorsese probably put it in there because he's influenced by it, but it's also needs he wanted the nerds and the audience to go seek it out if they sure. haven't seen it, you know. Yeah. So we could always rely on stuff like that. Uh, and of course, I noticed it and was very happy to see that. So yeah, uh, similar in that way, and I think maybe mainly in its intention. Mm-hmm. Taking a new look at a different at this genre that I think Scorsese is probably bored with. Right, right. Because I, you know, another thing, I was a little bored. <laughs> you know, I was a little bored in The Irishman. Well, we've seen yeah. so much yeah. mafia stuff like over the years. Yeah, one Scorsese already did it the same way and did it brilliantly, and then I feel like The Sopranos swooped in and did the dimension that The Irishman's attempting to do. But just much more thoroughly. Yeah. So in a way, I was kind of like going through the beats. Yeah. In a way, you know, I was, I, I felt his boredom. Well, I, you know, that, uh, the, the idea of, you know, we've talked about this already in this conversation. The idea of that this is. Uh, a continuation of things that he was exploring back in his earlier, you know, mafia and crime movies and stuff like that. Uh, and then I, I think I mentioned at one point about this being about the. The Frank Sheeran uh, story mm-hmm. and showing him at the end and mm-hmm. showing how, you know, kind of pathetic it is, you know, his, his old age and all, and we all die and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. This being a <laughs> final of, chapter. Kind of dime store philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. That's what Orson Welles would call dime store philosophizing. <laughs> but go on. Okay. Well, I only have one more puzzle piece. Okay. okay. And this one is very ridiculous. I want to just say it. that up front. Okay. But, and, and I, I was almost not going to bring it up, but everybody likes to joke about how I, I tend to bring up Evil Dead too much in these uh, these podcasts. I don't know what it's like to bring up something too much. You're right. I so I, have no, I can't relate to you with that. Well, uh, okay, so bear with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I look at this movie in a lot of ways as you, you get... You get more of the mafia stuff that that he's known he's been known for all these years, but then you tack on the end. You tack mm-hmm. on the end of the life. You tack right. on what they never show you after the credits roll in the other movies of just being this old, you know, 
sad man who's yeah. just, you know, a life of regret and, you know, all that stuff never brought him anything. So this is totally different. However, Evil Dead 2, <laughs> okay, uh, takes the original Evil Dead, uh-huh. which in this case is like your Goodfellas or whatever, you okay. know, and adds the ending. What happened after the end of Evil Dead? Of course, it goes in wackiness and he cuts his arm off and starts fighting with a chainsaw. It's brilliant, and, yeah. Yeah, there's it's all, all kinds of crazy it's stuff a masterpiece. Yeah. It's the best movie ever. <laughs> but um, it, 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 I'm just talking about the fact that we are continuing those stories, mm. you know? And it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not a direct sequel, of course, but it's continuing the idea of those stories. And so I just thought of that, that idea of the fact that Evil Dead 2 is a, a remake Mm-hmm. And then a continuation in one movie. Yeah, it's a reboot sequel. Yeah, it was doing it. it Sam Raimi was ahead of the curve by like thirty years, right? <laughs> by doing what we now do with everything in on the world, on the planet. Yes, everything. Is that, that that everything is that now. Yeah, he was doing Shaft twenty like twenty seventeen or twenty nineteen and yeah. Shaft two thousand five. <laughs> 30 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. So no, I think it's a great puzzle piece. Yeah, and it's it's a little out there, but uh, I, I no, just... Any chance well, I, I to talk about it. it. Any chance to talk about it. I'm the right dude for that, because I, I have the shining on it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I don't, I promise. No, but it's funny. So I'm, I have one last puzzle piece, and it's it's always, I always do this. It's a little bit of a cheat. It doesn't really count, in my opinion, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Mm. Uh, because to me, it's a combo, and we've kind of already touched on this, but of Scorsese's own casino... And Scorsese's own silence, mm-hmm. and I wanted to bring it up be- for a unique reason, not not that we've already talked about. You mentioned that it's like Casino, or it's like his earlier films with a new ending tacked on. Yes, and I think that's very much the case in terms of merging these two films together. It's like the somberness and the philosophy of silence mixed with the story, the plot of Casino and Absolutely. these people. But I think I think the thing I want to really talk about is that art. Like most great films and films like, you know, Kubrick's movies that always had a reevaluation. You know, I mean, they were always mixed upon re- coming out and then years later they were considered masterpieces. It's always like they, were, they became clearer in hindsight. Mm. And I think after the fog subsides of The Irishman, of maybe what my expectations were or what people were saying about it or this particular feeling in this moment or his Marvel comments flavoring my feel, whatever. Yeah. I think when the fog clears and some time passes, The Irishman might be another movie like Casino, what we, which we appreciate more now. Right. Because when Casino came out, everyone was like, just doing Goodfellas again, huh? Mm. Huh, Marty? Mm-hmm. Run out of ideas? <laughs> and then, I mean, there's even like a famous uh, SNL sketch. I feel, I feel it's like David Spade pops into my mind. He was just like, you want to see the sequel to Goodfellas? Go see Scorsese's um, Casino. Yeah. And now, if you watch Casino, it is a masterpiece unto itself. Sure. It is a superb movie. It's it's it it may even be better than Goodfellas. I don't know. They're two. They're so different, and they're so brilliant, and they're so masterfully done. And so, yeah, I think with Irishman, we may be victims of it being. We may be victims of being in its own time. Right. Right. And, and I think as there, as time moves on and we see Scorsese continue to work and, you know, the, and the hype dies down and we go back and we we catch Irishman on Netflix weirdly Mm -hmm. and we watch it again and we think about it, it's going to morph and change, I think. Absolutely. To me, it's either going to become less substantial and it's going to become kind of, uh, it was, uh, 
or it's going to become a giant and a masterpiece. Absolutely. And I don't, I'm not sure which yet. Well, that, that, uh, that piece and that, what you were just saying about it, uh, really makes me think you're the perfect person for a special episode of the podcast that I want to record later next okay, month. So we'll talk about it after we finish recording. <laughs> okay. Ooh, have you, are you guys titillated? <laughs> I hope everybody is titillated. <laughs> uh, let's do the finished puzzle and we'll get into some closing thoughts. Um, finish pull up. Finished puzzle includes Wild Strawberries, First Reformed, Umberto D, You Were Never Really Here, Rashomon, Boardwalk Empire, The Sopranos, True Crime TV, JFK, Hoffa, Bernie Sanders, The Shootist, Evil Dead 2, Casino, and Silence. Uh, my first closing thought I wanted to bring up... Uh, friend of the show, Sean Fallon, who was just on our Ford v. Ferrari episode... Mm mentioned to me we were talking about this movie and he mentioned if he was going to be on this podcast barry linden as a puzzle piece oh for sure and i know how much you love that movie what do you think of that well barry is my all-time fave yeah. you know mm-hmm. that i know a disgusting amount about barry linden and it's i think it's actually scorsese's favorite kubrick film yeah and kubrick uh, kubrick was a, a giant to scorsese and he fam- you know scorsese famously said that uh, Kubrick's movies were the equivalent of 10 of anyone else's. So Mm -hmm. he held them in ultimate esteem. I definitely, I'm not sure what what the other host or the other friend of the show, why he said that. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine its length. (laughs) (laughs) That I think it's a, it's a, a breathing story it's it's a film that unfolds slowly Mm -hmm. i feel the character i i agree in the sense that both characters are very passive barry and frank are passive characters right the world of the irishman happens to frank right right that's what i was kind of thinking was the angle yeah and the and the world of barry linden happens to redmond Mm -hmm. you know he almost falls into becoming barry linden Mm -hmm. and only a few times does he ever take the initiative to just become an opportunist Mm -hmm. you know he's almost you know it's funny i was speaking with the wonderful Douglas Milsom, the cinematographer on Full Metal Jacket, who's becoming the cinematographer of my film to, with much amazing honor to me, of course. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about Barry Lyndon. And I have a great anecdote to where Doug was like, you know what? Ryan O'Neill was so miscast. And I was like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> I was like, he was a mannequin. <laughs> and he looked at me and he was like, he was a mannequin. And I was like, did I just change Doug's mind about Barry Lyndon, the man who worked on the film? Wow. So... Uh, basically what happens is, you know, we, we look at Barry Lyndon, which is weirdly looked at as an adventure film, but I think mm. that's how they categorize it, which is hilarious. Yeah. It is not. It is a period drama. Um, but it's so somber and so slow moving because the character himself is just wandering through the world. Mm. And I think that's what Frank is. So yeah, in, in many ways, I agree with your friend and I should have named it as a, I tried to not put Kubrick on there. So, <laughs> I know, right? Because your audience didn't just vomit when they yeah. heard my name. Ah, uh, Chris is back. God Son of it. a bitch. <laughs> um, no, so, but no, no, I can definitely see the, the, the comparison. And, and I definitely think Scorsese, in every moment he exists, is influenced by Kubrick. So, mm. for sure. All right. Uh, any other closing thoughts? Um, no, I, not really. I basically wrapped it up in that we need to give this movie time. Yeah. I think I personally do. I liked it. Of course, it was good. It was good. It's like I said. It was these people at the the top of their top of their powers. Yeah, yeah. You know, the the elegance and the sure handedness and the you know and and the confidence is visible right there on the screen. Pesci was a revelation. Oh, he's great. Um, and and I think what's funny is Pesci's performance is also symbolic of the film itself. Totally understated. Mm-hmm. You know, the power is coiling within. Not you know, especially in, next to the comparison 
to his uh, his previous Scorsese roles, which is the extrovert and yeah. the loud, crazy, you know, erratic one, but where now he's this coiling, powerful force with ki- and kindness. Yeah, you know, so interesting character, and I think that's symbolic of the movie. So yeah, I, I think the greatness of the film is is to be determined. Mm-hmm. I think people who are loving it right out of the gates might be doing so because they feel some subconsciously that they're expected to. Mm. This was not a film that left me floored with my mouth agog. Sure, yeah, It was yeah. a movie that left me very contemplative. Yeah. So I'm not, not, to disc, no, not to discredit anyone's feelings. If they loved it, I'm, very, I'm happy for that. But I definitely think it's more complex than that. Absolutely. And, uh, and the quality of the movie in its totality, mm-hmm. I think needs, we need some distance from it to really judge that objectively. Uh, as of right now, though, I think it's a worthy kind of bookend to not that he's finished by any means, but it's definitely a good quote unquote ending of, to Scorsese, or at least this facet of his uh, his identity. Absolutely. Makes total sense. Yeah. Uh, well, awesome. I think that about does it. Uh, Chris, do you have another movie you saw recently you'd like to recommend? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, um, don't see Dr. Sleep. <laughs> Check out Parasite and have a, mm-hmm. Have a complex feeling on that. Try to resist everyone telling you that it's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and go see Jojo Rabbit and also be confused. Okay. So, and then I have yet to see um, the Ferrari movie. Ford v. Ferrari. Yeah, Ford v. Ferrari. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it looks like a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. But I'm really getting into Christian Bale's aloof, like, dead dead eyes. <laughs> I think his, his dead eyes are, like, the best performance. I think his yeah. eyes should win an Academy Award this year. His eyes knock it out of the park. Yeah, this one, they're yeah. dead. Yeah. He's, he's the most vacant, terrifying sociopath <laughs> of a human being I've ever looked at. And I just love... I mean, it's just his... He, yeah, he, he lives his characters in ways that Marlon Brando did. Uh-huh. So I've yet to see it, but I'll see it for him. Awesome. And I went, fuck... Goddamn Matt Damon with his performance. I don't know. Just the trailer cracks me up. He, he's, he's just... He's, <laughs> you can't, crowds love Matt Damon. Who, yeah. How do you not love him? Yeah, yeah. I was willing to watch him get shrunk down in a movie by Alexander Payne and yeah. sit through that. Yeah. And so I'll go, I'll follow him to the ends of the world. <laughs> but I'd like to just become his friend. And then after 13 or 14 years, lean over and be like, stop making movies, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you deserve a break. You don't have to make You don't have to make him anymore. <laughs> just stop. And then he'd be like, you know what? You might be right. And then I would save American cinema. No, I'm just kidding. I really love him. He's great. Speaking of making movies, uh, why don't you tell people where they could find you and your work? Okay. So I am currently making a film, as I uh, grossly plugged earlier with the fantastic support of Douglas Milson, the cinematographer of Stanley's Full Metal Jacket, and all of his movies since, 19, uh, well, not as DP, but uh, Focus Pooler and a uh, very important camera operator all the way from Clockwork Orange in 1971. So it's a deep honor. Movies called Madame X. You go to madamxmovie.com and you can get updates about the film and see the rest of our amazing cast and crew. We're still finding some important cast members and trying to raise some money. So if you guys are any you know millionaires and Kubrick fans and you guys want to make a movie with me, you can always come and, and do that. That'd be fun. Cool. Um, you go to chriscranock.com and you can see all of my previous work and all the things that I'm working on and read awful poems that I wrote when I was 17 <laughs> and just, just develop a deep hatred for me. And uh, no, but yeah, so I'm, I'm around. Beautiful. Well. Uh, as always, great having you on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me back so soon. I'm happy someone canceled. <laughs> Come on.
Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the Irishman. Thanks to Chris Cranock for uh, joining me for that, as I, I had a great time talking about it. And uh, thank you to Maya Cinemas and Eclipse Cinemas um, for actually having the Irishman here in Las Vegas. Those two theaters, uh, they have been doing a great job of bringing these things to Vegas. They they brought El Camino, they brought Roma. Well, uh, Maya brought Roma um, last year, and uh, it it's you know. It's great that these movies, which I, I know we're all so happy that Netflix keeps making movies and funding movies that supposedly wouldn't have gotten made. I, I think that's kind of bullshit, but that's another story for another time. But uh, as long as they're getting made, I do want to see them in the theater. And I'm so happy that these theaters are bringing them to Las Vegas because otherwise we've got Regal and we've got AMC and we've got Cinemark and they don't seem to want anything to do with these movies. And, you know, for for kind of good reason but uh as long as somebody's willing to bring them here i'm really happy because that's how i want to see a movie especially a movie from martin fucking scorsese am i am i wrong for saying that i mean come on so uh that does it for today if you enjoy piecing it together, we would love to hear what you think of the show. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and also on Podchaser, which is a new social networking site for podcasts and uh, we've been getting that profile all set up and everything and uh, it's a really fun site so come join us there and uh, let us know how you like the show and of course you could also just follow us on social media at piecing pod on all of the major uh, social media sites and our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces along with that uh, we also have a patreon so if you really enjoy the show and would like to get some bonus content which right now includes some advanced episodes of the show that aren't out yet but they will be out um when the movie that they're about hits vod that's the thing sometimes we got so many episodes all at one time we can't put them all out at the same time so we end up holding on to some uh for the vod release and we've got a couple of those in the can waiting to get released and right now they're up on the patreon so if you want to listen to them early Go check that out. You could also uh, pay a little extra and get my albums of music. I always end the show with one of my tracks. And uh, if you want all the albums, the actual physical CDs, I will send them to you if you are a Patreon. Uh, so that is it for today. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this Thanksgiving week, we've got this one. And then coming up on Friday, we've got Knives Out. It's a big week for the podcast. And uh, seriously, thank you all out there so much. I really appreciate you all listening. It's just so awesome. I, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, so let's leave you with a piece of music like I always do. And I think for for this movie, I don't really have anything anything like mafia style or anything like that to go with this. And I don't really have anything oldies doo-wop to go with uh, the score of The Irishman, which had a lot of that great classic doo-wop, which, by the way, uh, make sure to check out Wax Tracks Records if you like that kind of music. But anyway, uh, I'm going to play something a little little introspective, a little a little dark, a little, um, you know, that that kind of thing that maybe maybe would go with the, the mindset of the character a little bit at the end, because that is what I do after 
straw with my my sad, depressing albums of instrumental dark music. But uh, this is a track called Forgotten off the album An Unseen Sky. So enjoy it. And we'll be back, like I said, on Friday with Knives Out, which, by the way, go see this movie. It's so fucking good. I loved Knives Out, and I can't wait to talk about it. It's coming up on Friday.
and All Points West. 